We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to turn together to Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes. You can turn first to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to be looking at several different parts of the book of Ecclesiastes, but you can turn with me to the book. It's right near the center of your Bible. And as we're starting today, a new sermon series that's going to take us through this wonderful book. We have a, a period of more extended introduction before we dig into the specific text that's in front of us, verses 1 through 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. But let's take a look at the book. And as we start out, I want to seek to answer a question, and that is, why study the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, the, the obvious first reason is it's God's word, and all of God's word is profitable to us, and so, um, so it's good for us to study the book of Ecclesiastes, but why specifically Ecclesiastes when the whole Bible is profitable to us? Well, the first reason that I have is that we don't know this book very well. Unless you are, are not the typical person, it's very likely that you neither know nor understand this book very well. That was certainly the case of me when I first started studying and looking into the book. I was very privileged to be able to go to Trinity, or sorry, to Crossway Community Church in Bristol, Wisconsin as a part of a workshop about a year ago along with Dave Meter, the chair of the administrative elders, and we spent an intense three days digging into the book of Ecclesiastes, and through that I came to understand it much, much better than I had before and determined, hey, this is going to be really profitable, I believe, for Orland Park CRC. But if you're like me, when you came to the text the first time, there's not too much of the book that you know. There are maybe two parts that you know in particular. At least that's the way that it was for me when I was first starting to dig into the book. The first thing that you may know about comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and that's very likely because of the song by the birds. You know the song? To everything turn, turn, turn. That was my introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes. But if you take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you'll realize that that section of scripture is not exactly like the birds tell us it is. So if you take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 on page 657, you'll see that at the beginning it says, for everything there's a season. You'll notice it doesn't say turn, turn, turn after that. That's not in the biblical text. That's an addition by the birds later. And then you'll notice that as you work your way through, there are a lot of similarities to the song, but there are a couple of distinct differences. One is that when the birds talk about things, they say that they're, instead of what the text says here, which is a time to love and a time to hate in verse 8, they say a time 
for love and a time for hate. Or when they talk about uh, this portion of the text which has a time for war and a time for peace, they say that there's a time of war and there's a time for peace. Now, the point is they're trying to, they're trying to give a pro-peace message, which is a fine message, but it's not exactly what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is trying to get across for us, and it kind of shows that we don't much understand or know the book of Ecclesiastes. The other thing that illustrates the fact that we don't well know the book is that what's probably the most familiar passage in the book, or one of the most familiar passages of the book, is something that you probably often hear read at weddings, and that would be from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. Let me read this portion of scripture for us. It's on page 658. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, oftentimes it's used as a wedding and it seems to lend itself to that, right? Oh, it's talking about husband and wife. They're going to lie down together and keep each other warm. And obviously, at a wedding, you can use any portion of Scripture. All of Scripture is profitable. But the direct way that this portion of Scripture is talking is not about a husband and wife relationship. It's about something else. You can tell what it is if you take a look at things in context here. If you take a look at chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother... Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So taking a look at the context of this passage, we realize it's not talking about a marriage relationship, it's talking about a working relationship. And the sort of particular relationship that's in view is maybe a son or a brother to work along with you as you're working. Talking about work, and while that can apply to a a marriage context, it's not specifically or uniquely about marriage, but there is a portion of Scripture in Ecclesiastes that is directly and explicitly about marriage and the marriage relationship. And yet, I have never heard a single person ask for this to be read at their wedding ceremony or for this to be the the, the, the sermon text for the message of a wedding ceremony. But there is something that speaks precisely and directly to marriage. And you can turn there along with me to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9. Now, this is a part of Ecclesiastes directly about marriage. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. Nobody's requested that one yet. Nobody has asked for that to be read at their wedding. But that is directly about marriage, about the marriage relationship. And yet, we don't know about it all that well, and so we don't ask for that one to be preached. However, I'll take my hat off to you if that's requested here sometime in the next couple of years, Ecclesiastes 9.9. So, the first reason, the first reason for us to spend time in Ecclesiastes is that we don't well know this book. We don't know it all that well. And so to try to help us understand what's contained within this wonderful book of the Bible, this exceptional book of Scripture. So these are the five keys to being able to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. And if we understand what these sorts of things are saying, we'll have a much better grasp about what the book itself is trying to get across. So here's the first one, the first key to Ecclesiastes, the phrase, under the sun, under the sun. 
So if you take a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You can turn there with me, page 656. The words of the preacher, the, uh, the word is, is kohelet, which means gatherer, that's translated preacher here. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is a huge phrase and an important phrase. This phrase, under the sun, will be repeated 28 times within the book of Ecclesiastes. Since it's a 12-chapter book of the Bible, that means that you'll find it at least two times on average in every chapter. You'll find it all over the place, this phrase, under the sun. So what does that phrase mean? Helps us to know what the book of Ecclesiastes is getting at if we know what it is that that phrase means. Under the sun is life as it is, but only seen from the perspective of this world. That's life that doesn't take uh, into consideration the perspective of God, the perspective of the one who's sovereign and in control. This is the perspective as we labor under the sun, life in a world of imminence, life without the the Lord. This is a really helpful phrase for us I think, especially now. And the reason is that we live in an age that is secular. We live in a secular age. There's a great work by a guy named Charles Taylor, about 800 pages long, that describes the characteristics of the secular age in which we live. And one of the ways that he describes the secular age is he says that we live ensconced in imminence, just surrounded with imminence, that we think all there is, that our default position in a secular age is that all there is is life under the sun. Our default position is to think about the one who is sovereign and is in control. That is the world in which we live. And a Christian need not be afraid of this secular age. Why? Because a Christian enters into that perspective in the Bible itself. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. That's GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes takes us into the perspective of the world as if that which is under the sun in portions is all that there is. It's all that there is. So that's the first key to understanding what this book is talking about is this phrase, under the sun. Talking about the world as it is apart from God. Here's the second one. All is vanity. Let me read Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2, which says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. That's verse verse 2. And what this is saying, what this is communicating, is that human life is a vapor. It's brief, and it's subjected to frustration. Now, this is one of those places where it's helpful to know what the word is behind the word translated in the English language here. And if you take a look at your Bibles, you'll notice that there's a note on the bottom part of your Bible here. When it says in verse 2, it says vanity of vanities, there's a little one there so you can look and see that there's a note at the bottom of that page on page 656. And here's what it says. It says, throughout Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word for vanity or vain can refer to a mist, a vapor, or mere breath. 
it shows that many things in life are temporary. That's an extremely helpful note to help us get at what this word is saying. You see, the word that's translated vanity is a specific Hebrew word, and that Hebrew word is the word hebel. Now, could we pull that up? We have that word. If we could just pull that up on the screens. Now, doesn't that help you to see that that's the word right there? You're like, ah, yes. Now it's all clear. Thank goodness I saw the Hebrew word. Now, that word is hebel, hebel. And one of the things that pastoral intern Eli Grunendike has pointed out is that even saying the word sounds like breath because you have to be all breathy in saying it. Hebel. And that word does mean breath or, or vapor or mist. It's translated vanity. What that's getting across for us throughout the book of, of Ecclesiastes is this, is that life is like breath. It's like breath. Now, if you were to breathe out and try to hold on to your breath, you wouldn't be able to do it, right? I didn't grab it. Why? Because your breath is fleeting and it dissipates immediately. And what Ecclesiastes is saying here when it talks about the vanity of life is not that it's meaningless, not that it's worthless, but that it's over in an instant, that it's impossible to grasp, that it is fleeting, that it's temporary, and that because of that, it's very mysterious and inscrutable. Now this phrase, vanity, vanity, it's repeated 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. 38 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll find that the preacher here talks about life being vain over and over and over again. Life is like a vapor. It's brief. It's subject to frustration. And yet, for one who knows the one who's above the sun, life is not meaningless it is worthwhile, it is good for all of its pain and all of its oppression and all of its toil and all of its weariness. It's deeply worthwhile, even while it's subject to frustration. But the reality is that it tells us true things about life, right? And this gets at how Ecclesiastes speaks to us. Straightforward, unvarnished truth for us that takes seriously the way that life is for us under the sun. The Bible does not sense the need to try to make it seem like everything is just fine or okay. The Bible does not shy away from the fact that life under the sun is filled with hardship and oppression and toil and difficulty. And the reality is that as a Christian, as those of us who know the book of Ecclesiastes, we should not be afraid to be honest ourselves. Recently, Aubrey, my my wife and I had the chance to speak to somebody that we both know very well. She goes to a different church in another state, and she was talking about she was crying as she was talking about how challenging life is, how lonely she feels, how she feels that she doesn't have very many deep or good friends. And then what was striking is that a couple days later on Snapchat, there was a, a part of her Snapchat story, it was her surrounded with good friends, everyone looking fantastic, and she, the caption was, life couldn't possibly get any better, right? And we have this need, it seems, to make it seem like everything is okay, even if it's not. The Bible doesn't have that same need. The Bible has no problem giving to us straight unvarnished truth about the difficulty of this world, the difficulty of life. That's actually the second reason I'm especially excited for us to spend time in Ecclesiastes. It's also the reason that I'm nervous about spending time in the book of Ecclesiastes. I was speaking with the Reverend Dan Rota earlier this week, and he was talking about the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I'm not going to do my impersonation. It would take too long. I think uh, he, he said, you know, I tried to preach on Ecclesiastes in the church that I served once, And after just a couple of sermons, people were like, I'm sick of hearing about the futility of life. And so I moved on. That makes me scared. 
Because the reality is that Ecclesiastes does give to us an unvarnished look at this life, at this world. And that's not nice. It's good. It's not nice. It's hard. It's challenging. But it's necessary and it's beautiful. The Bible doesn't overly sanitize things. That's the second reason I'm really looking forward to going through the book of Ecclesiastes. So those are the first two keys to Ecclesiastes. Here's the third. The third key is the third thing on your bookmark here that you can feel free to keep. If you don't have one, we have a bunch at the information table for you to take home so that you can keep them yourselves. The third thing is man cannot find it out. And this comes to us in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Turn there with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll look at verse 17, page 661. Here's verse 17 of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Here's the third key. You will not know the secret ways of God. Humans are unable to understand the meaning of life on their own. That's a reality given to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. It reminds us that, God, that life is itself mysterious, inscrutable, impossible to grasp. How much more so is God, the one who's in control of all things? We don't know the ways of God. We don't know how, how, uh, how it is or why it is that he operates. And so Ecclesiastes reminds us not to over-explain the mysteries of God's providence. Don't claim that you know, that you know exhaustively why it is that God does things, to what end God does things, for what purpose, because his thoughts are greater than yours. His ways are higher than yours. Be content to give yourself over to the mystery of a good God who does not operate in the way that you do. It's the third key. We cannot understand the meaning of life on our own. Here's the fourth key to Ecclesiastes. Fear God. Here's the fourth key to Ecclesiastes, fourth thing on our bookmark here for our help to understand what's being said. Fear God. Let's turn to the final chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and on page 664. Now, sometimes it's not so good to give away the end at the beginning, but that's exactly what we're going to do here and take a look at the way that this book ends. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, here's what the, the, the Bible says here. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's also said in the middle, in the middle, in chapter 5, right square in the middle of this book, this good book. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7, 659, page 659. Verse 7 says this, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one that you must fear. One of the points and one of the keys to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes is this. You acknowledge that there's a God, that you are not God, and that he is. Acknowledge there is a God and that he is God and that you are not. Mike Bullmore says Ecclesiastes depresses us so that we press into God, so that we fear him. Here's the last key. The last key is joy. Ecclesiastes is a book of joy. And just take a look with me at one portion of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 15, on page 661. Ecclesiastes eight fifteen. 
We're told, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil throughout the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Joy. Ecclesiastes is a book of joy. It's not a book of meaninglessness. God has given us very much to enjoy, even in a frustrating and a vapor-like life. This is a regular theme throughout the book. Some say that this is the most common theme within the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is breath-like. It's over in an instant. You can't hold on to it. It's over very in a fleeting way. It's filled with frustration, and yet it is filled with joy. Because God has given to you this brief life, and he has filled it with joy so it can be lived with joy. So live life to the fullest. Live out the blessings of the good life that he's blessed you with. So I want for us to study Ecclesiastes because we don't know it well and we will get to know it better. I want to study Ecclesiastes because it gives us straightforward, unvarnished, difficult truths about the trials and hardship of life and the joy of life. And I want us to study Ecclesiastes. The third reason I want for, that, for us to study Ecclesiastes is that it teaches us how to live. It's been said that the Psalms will teach us how to praise if we spend time in them. That the Proverbs teach us how to think. That Job teaches us how to suffer. That Song of Solomon teaches us how to love. And that Ecclesiastes teaches us how to live. Staring down life in all of its fleetingness, in all of its challenges, with all of its joy, being filled with joy all the days that God has given to us under the sun. So that's the, those are the keys to understanding how it is that the book of Ecclesiastes works. You can hold on to this bookmark if you'd like. I can get you more copies if you would like. And let's try to take these truths and apply them to one specific text this morning. So take a look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Here's the passage in front of us this morning. And as, as I read this this morning, just pay attention and pay attention to all of the keys that will show up even in this first text here. All of the keys to understanding the book that will show up here in this first portion of Ecclesiastes. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Breath of breath. All is Vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it said, see, this is new? It's already been done. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to come among those who come after. This is where we end God's word, the reading of God's word. Very briefly, now we're going to try apply, to apply these keys that we've been talking about to this specific text. The preacher here in Ecclesiastes, Kohelet, the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, 
decides to look to see if he can find some gain. That's in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He's trying to find some benefit, some lasting benefit to this life under the sun. And where does the preacher look? Where does the preacher look? He looks in a very fitting place. It might be the first place that we would look as well. Where does he look to try to find some gain in this life under the sun? Well, he looks to his work. Now, this makes perfect sense because our identity is very often tied up in our work. We very often identify ourselves with the work that we do. So much do we associate ourselves with our work that it makes perfect sense that the first place that the preacher looks to try to find if he can discover some gain under the sun is he looks to his work. He looks to his toil. And so he describes the work that exists within the world, the toil of the world. The sun has a job. The sun goes up in the morning and goes down in the evening. The sun rises. The sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. That's verse 5. The wind has a job. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. The streams have a job. Verse 7, all streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams full, uh, flow, there they flow again. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through His Word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to Him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com.